Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the Big Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Neologunde. Today on the show, I'll be talking about recent Instagram updates that are geared towards younger users. Also, the additional fallout from the Pegasus spyware incident. And I'll wrap up the episode by talking about a generational gap in the debate over whether to return to the office. Thank you for your time. Let's get to it. So this first story was reported by TechCrunch on July 27, Tuesday. And the the announcement was basically Instagram saying they were now releasing a series of updates that have been designed to make the app a safer place for online teens. Um, the company said it would now default users to private accounts at sign up if they are under the age of 16 or if they are under the age of 18 in some locations, including the European Union. It will also push existing users that are under the age of 16 to switch their accounts to private if they have not already done so. In addition, um, Instagram would roll out new technology aimed at reducing unwanted contact from adults like those who have already been blocked or reported by other teens, and it will change how advertisers can reach its teenage audience. So the most visible change for younger users will be the shift to private accounts. So historically, whenever users signed up for a new Instagram account, they were asked to choose between a public or a private account. But Instagram says that from the research they conducted, they found out that about 8 out of 10 young people usually selected the private option during setup. So they will not make this the default option for users under the age of 16. Instagram would, however, not force teens to remain private, so they can switch to public accounts at any time, including during sign-up. So this kind of defeats the purpose. If you can make them choose public or private, but you're now saying you would default them to private. So those with existing public accounts will be alerted to the benefits of going private and be instructed on how to make the change through an in-app notification, but Instagram will not force them to go private. So this um, is basically saying they are giving younger users the option to be private. They, they would default their settings. So if they don't do anything and they create an account, automatically it's going to be set to private. But during the setup of that new account, they can choose to make it public. So this change follows a similar move by um, the rival platform TikTok, which um, in January of this year announced that it would update the private settings and defaults for their users under the age of 18. In the case of TikTok, TikTok changed the account for users age 13 to 15 to private by default, but also tightened other controls related to how young teens use the app, such as comments, video downloads, and other TikTok features such as duets and stitches. Um, Instagram is not going so far as to restrict other settings beyond just suggesting teens' default account type, but it is taking action to address some of the problems that result from having adults participate on the same app that minors use. So, for example, the company said it's, it's going to use a new technology to identify accounts that have shown potentially suspicious behavior. So that basically means those who have been recently blocked or reported by other young users across Instagram. 
And this is only one of the many signals Instagram uses to identify suspicious behavior, but the company said it won't publicize the other. So in a way not to make people game the system. Um, once an account has been identified as potentially suspicious, Instagram will then restrict this adult account from being able to interact with the young people's account. So for example, Instagram will no longer show young people's accounts in Explore, Reels, or in the account suggested for you feature to these potentially suspicious adults. And if the adult instead locates a young person's account by searching for them, they won't be able to follow them and they won't be able to see the comments from young people on other people's posts or be able to leave comments of their own on young people's posts. Um, interestingly, according to Instagram, teens that are planning to report and block their own parents probably won't trigger the algorithm because this algorithm uses a combination of signals to trigger the restrictions. Um, the new restrictions from Instagram also build on the technology that they introduced earlier this year, which basically restricted the ability for adults to contact teens who did not already follow them. Um, this made it possible for teens to still interact with their family and friends while limiting unwanted contact from adults that they didn't know. Um, basically, cutting off problematic adults from young teens' content in this manner actually goes further than what is available on other social networks such as TikTok or YouTube, where basically there are often disturbing comments left on young people's videos. We see that a lot on YouTube and TikTok. In many cases, these young people's um, who have been harassed are mostly girls who have been sexualized and harassed by adult men. YouTube's comment section was even once home to a pedophile ring which pushed YouTube to entirely disable comments on videos that feature minor children. So on the part of Instagram, Instagram is not blocking the comment section in full. It is more selectively seeking out the bad actors than making content created by minors much harder for these bad actors to find in the first place. The other major cha um, change that Instagram is rolling out in the next few weeks would impact advertisers looking to target ads to teens under the age of 18 or older in some countries. So previously available targeting options such as those based on teens' interest or activity on other apps or websites will no longer be available to advertisers. Instead, advertisers will only be able to target based on age, gender, and location. And this would go into effect across Instagram, Facebook, and Messenger. Instagram says this decision was influenced by recommendations from youth advocates who said younger people may not be as well equipped to make decisions related to opting out of interest-based advertising, which led to the new restrictions. In reality, however, Facebook's billion-dollar interest-based ad network has been under attack by regulators and competitors alike, and the company has been working to diversify its revenue beyond ads to include things like e-commerce with the expectation that potential changes to its business are around the corner. Um, in a recent um, episode, I talked about how Apple, in a recent update to the iOS, restricted the ability for Facebook to collect data from third-party apps by asking users if they wanted to opt out of being tracked. And following this iOS update, a lot of people actually said no to this tracking. And meanwhile, 
Attacks on the personalized ad industry have included those from advocacy groups who have argued that tech companies should turn off personalized ads for those under the age of 18, not just for those under the age of 13, who are already being protected under current child um, child privacy laws, such as COPPA, C-O-P-P-A. Um, at the same time, Instagram has been toying with the idea of opening up its app to kids under the age of 13, and the recent series of changes could help to demonstrate to regulators that it is actually moving forward with the safety of young people in mind. So it's one thing for Instagram to announce all these changes. It's another thing for it to actually work as it is advertised. And I'm very sure a lot of security researchers are going to put Instagram to test and actually go ahead and test all of these things they claim the app is now able to do. On this front, Instagram says it has expanded its youth advisors group to include new experts like um, Juta, Juta Crow of um, Steve Tongue Digital Chansen. Um, there's also Patty Gonsalves at Sangath, and it's okay to talk. There's Vicky Shotbolt at Parent Zone UK, um, Alfie M. Brillan Noble at Akoma Project, AAKOMA Project. There's also Rachel Rogers at Northwest Northeastern University. There is Janice Whitlock at Cornell University. And finally, there's Amelia Vance at the Future of Privacy Forum. This group also includes the Family Online Safety Institute, the Digital Wellness Lab, um, Media Smarts Project, Rocket, and finally, the Cyberbullying Research Center. Instagram is also working with lawmakers on age verification and parental consent standards that it expects to talk more about in the months to come. In a related announcement, Instagram said it is using artificial intelligence technology that estimates people's ages. It can look for signals like people wishing someone happy birthday or happy quinceanera, which is basically um, a, a celebration among Hispanic-speaking people for um, when someone turns, I think it's 15 or 16. So all of this can help narrow down someone's age, for instance. And this technology is already being used to stop some adults from interacting with young people's accounts, including the most recent set of restrictions that Instagram announced yesterday, Tuesday, July 27th. So up next, I'm going to be talking about the um, additional fallout from the Pegasus spyware incident. So last week, news came out that Pegasus, which is a military-grade spy software that was licensed by an Israeli spyware firm known as the NSO Group, was used to hack dozens of smartphones that belonged to reporters, human rights activists, um, and the fiancé of the murdered Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi according to an investigation by the Washington Post and 16 other news organizations. So that investigation discovered that those hacked phones were on a list of more than 50,000 numbers, phone numbers, based in countries known to conduct surveillance on people. The list of phone numbers was shared with the Washington Post and other media organizations by a Paris-based journalism non-profit organization called Hidden Stories, as well as um, the human rights group Amnesty International. So NSO Group has denied the findings of the report in several statements, arguing that the reporting includes, quote, uncorroborated theories based on, quote, misleading interpretation of leaked data from accessible and overt basic information. So they are saying all of these things are available from 
public information. So there's really nothing new and people are just connecting dots that are, that do not exist in order to make NSO Group look bad. Um, NSO Group said it would continue to investigate all credible claims of misuse and then take appropriate action. So the Pegasus spyware is licensed to governments around the world and can hack a mobile phone's data and activate the microphone, according to this report. NSO said the spyware is only used to surveil terrorists and other criminals, and they denied that the leaked list of about 50,000 phone numbers had anything to do with the company. Incidentally, the Pegasus incident has engulfed several African governments and could prompt further diplomatic fallout. So the Secretary-General Secretary of Amnesty International, um, Agnes Calamard, said in a statement on Friday, July 23rd, last week Friday, that, quote, not only does it expose the risk and harm to those individuals unlawfully targeted, but also the extremely destabilizing consequences on global human rights and the security of the digital environment at large. So there are two um, instances of how this Pegasus spyware incident would affect diplomatic relations between two sets of countries. So the, the first set is France and Morocco. France is in Europe, Morocco is in Africa. And the second set of countries is South Africa and Rwanda. So both of these countries are in the southern part of Africa. So for France and Morocco, there are indications that the French president, Emmanuel Macron, was being surveilled by Morocco. He has changed his phone number and called on the Israeli Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, to pursue an inquiry into the allegations raised in this report. Reports claim that the Moroccan government was the most enthusiastic user of the Pegasus spyware. They had over 10,000 out of the 50,000 phone numbers in the leak deemed to be of interest to Morocco's secret services. Phone numbers of several journalists that are now jailed in Morocco were also revealed, as well as those of former French Prime Minister Edouard Philippe and European Council President Charles Micheland, and also the World Health Organization Director Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus. NSO Group has denied this, um, claiming that the likes of Macron, Ghebreyesus, and Morocco's King Mohammed VI, who also appeared on the list, had never been targets. The Moroccan government has denied using the Pegasus spyware, calling the reporting, quote, a mendacious, massive, and malevolent media campaign. <coughs> Analysts have, however, stated that the revelations would inevitably have some imp impact on international relations. Morocco, for example, depends on diplomatic support from France to a high degree in advancing its interest in international forums such as the United Nations and may therefore now find France less inclined to be helpful on the international stage, if all of this is proven to be true. Um, the second pair of relationship that might potentially be damaged is between Rwanda and South Africa. So this is interesting because South Africa's president, Cyril Ramaphosa's phone number also appeared on this list, and it was allegedly targeted by the Rwandan government. Why? Because ever since the exiled former Rwandan intelligence tree, um, chief, Patrick Karageya, who is a critic of Rwanda's president, Paul Kagame, was assassinated in Johannesburg, South Africa in 2013, relations between both nations have been somewhat strained. 
The two countries have, however, been working to restore bilateral relations, and Rwanda's foreign minister, Vincent Biruta, met with South Africa's foreign minister, Naledi Pandor, in Pretoria, South Africa, just last month to discuss cooperation on various regional issues. The Guardian reported that South Africa's President Ramaphosa appeared to have been selected for surveillance back in 2019. So perhaps Rwanda may have been seeking more leverage in pursuit of other regime defectors. Um, we know that Karin Kanimba, the daughter of Paul Rusesa Bagina, who was the hotel manager who famously sheltered refugees during the Rwandan genocide in 1994, was also allegedly on Rwanda's list. So since leaving Rwanda in 1996, Rusesa Bagina has become a prominent critic of Rwanda's President Kagame's Rwandan Patriotic Front government. He was arrested in August on nine terrorism charges in relation to his affiliation with the armed wing of an opposition party, which claimed responsibility for fatal terror attacks in Rwanda in 2018. So finally, I'm talking about a generational gap in the debate over whether to return to the office or not. Um, the New York Times recently reported that as companies increasingly call for employees to go back into the office, younger people are becoming some of the biggest opponents to going back to the office with millennials leading this charge. So according to a conference board survey, millennials question the wisdom of actually going back to the office way more than older older generations did, with 55% of millennials expressing concern about working in person compared to 45% of Gen X participants and 36% of baby boomers. Of course, there are trade-offs that come with working remotely or in person, and as more companies begin to formalize their long-term plans, a lot of managers and employees alike are watching to see any trends that pop up. So even though younger workers may have embraced working from home, People working remotely in the formative months and years of their careers can lose out on networking opportunities in and out of the office that can set them up for more opportunities and career advancement down the road. Young people working from home may also have a harder time establishing relationships and connections with their colleagues than people who were working in person before the pandemic began. The New York Times reported that in an emerging generation gap, older managers who see in-office work as the norm are extolling the benefits of a strong work culture, better brainstorming sessions, and team cohesion that come with working in the office. However, younger workers told the New York Times that they prefer working from home due to the sense of increased productivity and the time saved by cutting out commutes to the office. A study by our labs also showed that remote workers report being happier, less stressed, and more focused than non-remote workers. Remote workers were also 13% more likely to stay at their current job than their non-remote counterparts. The New York Times also reported that while industries such as finance and banking are more aggressive in bringing employees back to the office, other industries such as tech and media are more friendly to hybrid and remote arrangements. And we can see this all around us. The companies that are more open to hybrid works tend to be um, tech industry, um, cybersecurity, the media, and so on. But 
industries such as banking and finance are more aggressive in bringing employees back to the office because they, they cherish that customer relationship that they've established over the years and it's kind of part of their business model to cultivate relationships in that in the kind of like corporate setting bring the customers into the office make them feel comfortable talk to them talk to them about businesses and mortgages and loans and so on and so forth in the office so that's all I have for episode 42 of the Big Picture Podcast. The production, editing, fact-checking, audio engineering, and graphic design were done by yours truly, Bidemi Logunde. Please join me again on the next episode as I continue with a deep dive on cybersecurity topics, news, events, and incidents, and the lessons we can all learn from them for robust cyber threat intelligence and awareness in our daily lives. Make sure you subscribe to the Beat Picture on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pandora, Tuning Radio, or anywhere you get your podcast from. Please share the show with anyone you think might benefit from it. And for questions, comments, or any suggestions, please send an email to bidme at thebeatpicture.com. You can also get in touch on Twitter at BeatPicture, as well as on the Clubhouse app at BIDBeat. Please remember to leave a review for the podcast if your platform allows you to do so. This would really help to promote the podcast and get it um, in front of as many people as possible. Thank you for your time. See you on the next episode. Bye for now.